on this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, the final and we hope greatest podcast of the decade. I mean, that's the plan anyway. We're going to be chatting about instead of LRT, we still got a billion dollars in this city. How about, ready? Gondolas. You think it sounds silly? It doesn't. We'll explain why. They are in place, other places, and they work. We'll talk about that one. Also, Don Robertson joins. We got lots to talk about, including should you be allowed to criticize referees if you're a coach or you're a player instead of getting fined by your league? All that coming up. Final podcast of 2010, the decade. Enjoy. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. I want to wish everybody, by the way, the best of what truly is the best day of the year. Happy Bacon Day. Happy National Bacon Day to everybody. That's what today is, National Bacon Day. There is no better day in the on the calendar than Bacon Day. I wish every day. Well, every day really is Bacon Day, but nonetheless, that's officially today. So go fry up some bacon and celebrate in your own way. Just I'm just back from vacation. Uh, we took some days off just leading up to Christmas. And as it turns out, we went down to Florida and spent some time at Disney World. Many of you have been there, but I want to tell you something. And the reason I'm bringing this up is not to share my travel stories with you because I'm not going to force you to watch travel movies or travel pictures. Or we, we don't do that to people here on the show. We're not going to torment you. And I'm not going to torture you with just random stories about things we did down there. Hey, we saw this. No, 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 nothing like that. We're not going to, I'm not going to do that to you. But I tell you why I'm mentioning it. Because while I was down there, Graham McKay, the cartoonist from The Spectator, who's a good friend, sent me a text. I had tried to not be paying attention to any news whatsoever while I was away. It's better for the mental health sometimes, just to get a little break. But anyway, Graham sends me a text, and he knew that this would be something I would be interested in. And he basically pointed out this was the day that we found out that the LRT announcement with Carolyn Mulroney with the Ford government was going to be made. The LRT is, he thought, and he was correct, he predicted was going to be dead that day. So anyway, I was interested. Started following along. We all know what happened. Ford government pulled the plug on the LRT, said it was going to be five times the cost. Hamilton's mayor, Fred Eisenberger, called it a betrayal of the city of Hamilton. On and on and on we go. You guys, you all know the story. Everyone's heard this story by now. Uh, I, I, first of all, I don't agree with the mayor that it's a betrayal of the city of Hamilton because the billion dollars that was promised is still apparently there. We haven't had the billion dollars pulled out from under our feet. We just simply aren't getting an LRT. Each of us can determine in our own way whether that's a betrayal. One person's betrayal may be another person saving the city from itself. Regardless, why am I mentioning all this? Because down at Disney World, and it's a, it's a, if you've never been down there, it's a sprawling, it's not just one theme park, it's a sprawling four theme parks, a couple water parks, hotels everywhere, golf courses. It's a massive thing. It's bigger than the size of Manhattan, the whole thing. And they have just opened, in the last two months, they have just opened something called their Skyliner Transportation System. And what the Skyliner transportation system is, it's a multi-destination gondola system that has gondolas going to different hotels and different checkpoints and then on to like hubs and then on to theme parks and things like that. We got on it. We tried it out. And you want to know something? The betrayal of the city of Hamilton that has taken the LRT away, that billion dollars, man, I would, I, I want to take some money 
and even though it would sound ludicrous, and send some of our city council members down to Disney World. I'm serious. To try this Skyliner system, because if we've got a billion dollars now for infrastructure, for transportation in this city, and I'm not being funny, even though it's Disney World, I'm not being ironic, I'm not being silly, there are way worse things that we could be considering than a gondola system, and I know that might sound goofy to some people, again, pardon the pun, didn't mean to do that, but there you go, Um, this is a great idea that when you ride this thing, you say, wait a second. There was always questions in this city about the east to west. Why are we having an LRT just running from east to west when what we really need is to connect, many people think, the mountain to the lower city? Well, this could be the way you do it. And I got to tell you something. This was a great system. Move people quickly. I mean, Disney is expert at this kind of thing. They can move tons of people all over the place very quickly. They have their own complete transportation system. This was a great concept and it worked exceptionally well. And I'm positive that we in the city of Hamilton could build a gondola system. Just imagine this for a second. For By the way, for a billion dollars, I'm sure we could do this. You have a hub up at Lime Ridge Mall where there actually is parking so people could park and then go down. You have a line that goes down to Jackson Square or to the main part of downtown. You have one that goes to the McMaster area. You have one that goes out to Eastgate Mall. You could then have something that works for everybody in the city and connects the city and I'm telling you, this thing was, I didn't, I didn't know what to expect. And I'm, I'm truly not being silly about this. This was a great system that worked exceptionally, exceptionally well at moving people. And here's the thing. It was three or four years ago, maybe five by now, that Councillor Jason Farr, Ward 2 Councillor Jason Farr, was on this show talking about the idea of a gondola. And at that time, there were a lot of snickers about the idea. Oh, ho, ho, you know, we're going to build a gondola? Sure, whatever. I'm telling you, having been on this thing now, rather than having everybody in the city on council who was for the LRT whine and gripe and complain and moan about the fact that this is a betrayal, this is something that honestly we should be looking at. We should honestly be looking at this. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We are wrapping up the decade with the topic, one of the topics that has defined the decade here in Hamilton. One of the ones we have talked about for years and years and years and are still talking about. And that is the LRT, but we're not really talking about the LRT, lest you immediately change the channel. Flip the dial. That's not what we're talking about. With the LRT now seemingly dead in the water, but the province still saying it's going to give a billion dollars to Hamilton towards transportation. At least that's what we're being told. We're talking about another alternative. I just got back from the States. I just got back from Florida. I just got back from Disney World where they have just opened a thing called Skyliner, which is a gondola system that runs from, for them, four different resorts to two of their theme parks. And so it's a, it's an airborne subway system, basically. Unlike our LRT, which was just going to go from point A to point B, this one has a variety of different options. You can get around places. It's above ground, so you're not getting in the way of traffic. You're doing it over top of everything. It, I guarantee you, I, I've been looking everywhere to try and find a cost for this, that what they did down in Florida. Can't find a cost. I guarantee you, though, it was less than a billion dollars to do this. 
And I'm looking at this as we're writing it down there, thinking this, this right here is something we should be considering for Hamilton. And I know that to some people, this is going to sound like a ludicrous idea that we would have a gondola system. It's really not when you're actually on it. It doesn't affect traffic. You put up a pole about every hundred meters somewhere. You got the lines that connect. You have the cars that are on it. Someone said, well, what about people? Because when you get to the connecting hub, the thing has to keep going. What if you're disabled or whatever? They have a separate way. So if you're on it and you have a disability, it can go into a separate lane so that it can stop and let you on and off. Like it works. It really works. And there is no group, there's no organization that seems to be as adept at figuring out how to move vast numbers of people around as Disney. Heaven knows they do it well. With the billion dollars that are now in our hand, the city of Hamilton should be now listening to the idea that Jason Farr, counselor for Ward 2, threw out there a number of years ago that Terry Whitehead has also, counselor has also suggested, and that is look at the idea of a gondola. And it's not just at Disney, they have it at cities in different places around the world and they work. They work. And I... I was skeptical about it. When I first heard Jason Farr say it, I giggled at him because I thought, okay, you're being ridiculous. It works. And if we have an escarpment in this city to get people down the escarpment, this works. To get people to different parts of the downtown from the mountain, this works. To get people, even if you want to go east to west in the city instead of an LRT, this could work. I want to hear, though, if you think that it's an idea that is worth exploring or if you think this is just complete ridiculousness, 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Here's the other thing about it. You can only, yes, you can only put six or eight people in each car, but there's cars every, like, few seconds that come along behind the other one. It's a constantly going system that absolutely is effective at moving people around without complete... And what what has been the knock for a lot of people? What has been the main knock on the LRT? Besides the cost. It's that... Well, and besides the fact that it only services one stretch of road in the city, it's that it's going to cause mass chaos, mass construction, massive traffic jams, It's going to destroy traffic patterns in the city. This does not do that because it's above the city. It's above the roads. You can still have the traffic. You can still have the people getting around who drive from the suburbs who you still want them to come downtown. People in Dundas and Stony Creek and Flamborough, they're not going to be taking the LRT if it was built. They just aren't because there's no place to park at either end. And how are they going to get there? They're not going to take a two-hour bus ride to get to the end of the LRT just to drive across the city on the car, on the, on the LRT. This solves that. I'm telling you, I'm sincerely hoping that in 2020, when city council, those who were very much in favor of the LRT, when they calm down a little bit and start looking at what are the other options, I, it's going to be a hard sell. I don't doubt it. But I would suggest, honestly, I, and I'm not being funny. And anytime you talk about Disney World, it sounds like you're being ironic or facetious or ridiculous. I'm not. I would encourage some of them to go down and take a look at this. Disney basically runs an entire city down there. And they do it well. Some of their ideas are worth looking at even in a real life non-Disney World city. This is one of them. 
This is one of them. I would really hope that City Council would take a long, hard look at this and maybe even explore what the cost of something like this would be because there are opportunities here to do even better than what we would have done with an LRT. I'm absolutely convinced of that. I'm absolutely convinced of that now. More hubs, more routes, more opportunities, less money, I'm sure. Let me know what you think. Radley at 900CHML.com. Would love to hear from you if you think that would be a good idea or a completely ridiculous idea. I'm lobbying for the first, but you're entitled to your opinion too, as is the case in every one of these topics we have. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900CHML. We are wrapping up this decade in two days, believe it or not, well, today and tomorrow. And first of all, there were a few things I saw this. Uh, I'm going to pull this thing up. We'll talk about this very quickly. Some of the stuff that happened this decade that we have completely forgotten about or don't even realize that happened this decade because it seems it's been around forever. For example, do you realize that it was in this decade that the first iPad came out? Come on. iPads have been around a lot. No, they haven't been around longer than that. 2010, first iPad came out. Uh, 2011, Prince William and Catherine Middleton got married. I don't even know. It doesn't even, I don't even have a feeling whether that happened this decade or not. Uh, planking. Remember planking when everyone had to do planking? Yeah, that was this decade. Uh, Harry Potter ended this decade. Um, oh, here's one that'll drive you nuts. Gangnam Style became the most watched video on YouTube of all time. You know, Gangnam Style, that song? Yeah. If you ever want to see something that is really disturbing, go on YouTube Look up Gangnam Style and watch the video where Psy, who's the guy who sings it, performs it in South Korea in front of about 400,000 people who aren't singing it back to him so much as they are screaming it in a cult-like Jim Jones following. It's very odd. It's very strange. It's a little disconcerting. This, yeah, this here. Remember this song? That was this decade. That was okay. That's side. That was this decade. That was only eight. That was only less than eight years ago. Wow. Um, Harlem Shake was this decade. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, here's another one. Another song that came and went in this decade. This was 2013. Remember what did the what does the fox say or what did the fox say? What does the fox say? Remember this song? This was the stupidest song maybe ever written. That's this one. It's just so incredibly stupid. Huge hit. Incredibly stupid. Uh, The Malaysian airline plane disappeared in this decade. The ice bucket challenge was this decade. All right, all those things. Question is, though, who was the person of the decade? That's what I want to talk about right now. Who was the person of the decade of the 2010s? Is that what we call this decade, by the way, the 2010s? The 10s? I guess the 10s. If you have the 70s and the 80s and the 60s, it has to be the 10s. Sounds sort of funny because next the, the next decade, the 20s. All right. But 
excuse me, going to choke myself to death here. (coughs) End the 2010s in a choking fit on the air. So the question is, who is the person of the decade? I want to hear from you. 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Let me throw out some names for you. Hmm, Not going to make it through this decade, apparently. Would Barack Obama be the person of the decade? First black president, guy who many people admired, some people disagreed with. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg's a really interesting one. The guy who's the... the founder of Facebook, or if you watch the social network, that movie, um, maybe not the founder of Facebook, but the guy who gets credit for being the founder of Facebook, you can decide, but leaving just Facebook aside, Mark Zuckerberg as the decade, he is kind of now the personification of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. As soon as I figure out what that is, I'll let you know. Um, all these different ones. Mark Zuckerberg is the guy who we sort of put the face on because I had to look up today who the people or a person was behind Twitter. They're, they're not really famous. There's four of them. They're not really famous. We don't know their names. We know Mark Zuckerberg. Would Mark Zuckerberg be the person of the decade as the personification of the people behind social media? I mean, if you want, how about Drake? You want to get out of politics or social media? How about Drake as the, I can't believe I'm saying this, the best-selling artist of the decade, which speaks volumes about how taste has waned this decade and we've become all deaf, apparently. If we're buying Drake albums, I'm sorry. We've fallen far from our lofty place of generations before. But anyway, would Drake be the person of the decade? 905-645-3221, star 9900. Take your pick. How about if we're Canadian, Justin Trudeau or Stephen Harper? Would either of them be your person of the decade? I just mentioned Psy, the singer who did Gang of Style. Not because, again, personification, not because of him personally, but the idea of YouTube and creating YouTube stars and people who don't necessarily or in the past didn't necessarily have a platform now do. Everybody's got a platform now. Would that be your person of the decade? I want to hear who you would say would be your choice for person of the decade. I'll tell you in in my mind. Oh, another name, by the way, before I get to that, another name that has come up and oh, heavens, I hope this is not the case, but uh, Greta Thunberg, some people are saying is the person of the decade. Is she? Some would say yes. Some would say she's just a wonderfully inspirational young lady who is out to change the world. Could she be the person of the decade? I would argue against that, but you know, that's, you're entitled to your opinion. I'll tell you, well, I'll tell you who is, in my mind, the person of the decade. We'll do that after the break. But in the meantime, I want to hear from you if you have someone who you believe would be your person of the decade. 905-645-3221 or star 9900. we got two days left. Who is the person who, when history looks back on this past decade, who is the person who will be on the cover of that book? You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Who would you say when historians in 50 years from now look back on the 2010s, who is going to be the person who 
really drove the narrative and was the central, most important, most significant person from this decade. Who is going to be that person that we look back on and say, yep, that was the one? Well, let me tell you. I, I, we mentioned Barack Obama. We mentioned Justin Trudeau. You can talk about anybody, any of the other world leaders. Putin, Vladimir Putin. I mean, that would be one that you could say. Uh, even uh, the rocket man, what's his name, over in North Korea, Kim Jong-un. Uh, any of these people. But I'm telling you what, in my mind, it's not even a close contest. If you are talking about the person of the decade, and again, saying who is the person who has most driven the narrative, most driven the conversation, most been in the news, most been whatever, how can it be anybody but Donald Trump? Whether you love Donald Trump or hate Donald Trump, and that's entirely your choice. I'm not here to argue for whether you should like him or hate him or be somewhere in the middle, although I've never met anybody who's in the middle. The Donald Trump people, it, it either seems to be that you absolutely despise him or that you think he's doing a very, very good job. I don't seem to see too many people that fall somewhere in the middle. Nonetheless, how can you possibly argue against Donald Trump being the person of the decade? There has never, ever, that I can recall, and, and I've tried to look around and find, there's never been the amount of coverage, of discussion, maybe Maybe for a time, Bill Clinton fell into this level in the middle of his Monica Lewinsky situation. Maybe there was as much discussion about the U.S. president in a passionate way on both sides. But, I mean, from the moment Donald Trump got into politics, and that's now coming up on five and a half years ago when he announced that he was going to run for president— has there been anybody that has spurred the kind of conversation, the kind of ongoing, relentless, unrelenting talk that he has? I mean, turn on CNN any of 24 hours a day and they are talking about Donald Trump. Turn on Fox, turn on MSNBC, turn on CNBC, turn on the networks during their newscast, turn on, turn on radio stations, look in newspapers, go online, go on Twitter, go on Facebook. You cannot, you cannot escape Donald Trump. And you haven't been able to now for four solid years, probably more like five, five and a half when he became a serious political candidate. Is there anybody else out there that would... It's going to say Trump him. That would, maybe that's the word that's going to become used now. I mean, who could possibly, is there someone out there who has been more, and again, I'm not talking about loved or anything like that. I'm just saying who has been more the news driver than Donald Trump? 905-645-3221, star 9900, if you would have someone else. And, and look, you can have your own criteria. This is my criteria. I just don't see anybody else who has been the driver of the discussion as he has. And here's the other thing. We're now heading into, well, we, the world, is heading into a U.S. election year. If you think that there's been talk about Donald Trump until now, it's going to be going up exponentially for the next year because now we're heading into an election. Now it's going to be instead of nonstop, well, I don't know, what's the step beyond nonstop? 
whatever is beyond nonstop, that's where we're going to go. Now, it, there is going to be no escaping the idea of Donald Trump everywhere. Now, we don't know who the Democratic candidate is going to be, but it's still always going to be about Donald Trump. For If you think that for one second that this U.S. election is going to be fought by the Democratic candidate, whoever that may be, on purely on ideas, come on. It's going to be them fighting against Donald Trump, not for something. It's against Donald Trump. Just like here in Canada, when Justin Trudeau won the first time, he was not fighting for ideas. He was fighting, he was running against the idea of more Stephen Harper. Well, that's what it's going to be. I don't see that there's anybody else that can really even be a second place finisher. I mean, to me, Donald Trump is the person of the decade and there's not even a runner up. If you want to say that there's someone, I would say Mark Zuckerberg, and again, not because of Mark Zuckerberg per se, just about the idea of social media, the idea of what social media has become, the idea that he's the personification of how we all now have a say and we all now have a platform and a voice and it's created in a lot of ways chaos in our society. But I don't know how you argue against Donald Trump. Love him or hate him. I don't know how you argue against it. Send me an email if you've got a different name that you would think you could make a case for. I'd love to hear it. Radley at 900CHML.com. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900CHML. Let me bring in Don Robertson. He is the owner and operator and chief bottle washer of the Dundas Real McCoys. He's wearing one of their fancy new sweatshirts today. I think it's a new sweatshirt or is it really old? No, it's really new. Oh, really new. Very nice. Red and black and white and script lettering. You should have had those out for Christmas time. Gave them all to all the players for Christmas. Oh, very nice. Uh, thanks for coming in. And also Com Choice Realty and a variety of other things yeah. in the greater Dundas area. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. It's been a while since you were here because I've been away and then... Well, I was away. You, you were, were away. away and Christmas got in the way. Yep. Nice. Anyway, I hope everybody had a great Christmas. So I, I want to jump right in, Don. We've got a lot of things I want to get to today. And I'm going to start with this because this seems to be right up your alley. I mean, this seems because you have been a coach of who has who occasionally occasionally gotten fiery behind the bench. You have been a referee who's dealt with some coaches who have occasionally been fiery and you have been a hockey official and administrator. So this falls perfectly into your entire hockey resume. I don't know if you saw Columbus coach John Tortorella yesterday. Uh, the short story is that there was an, a, 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 was it a penalty that was called? Offside. Maybe. Offside. Okay. And late, late, late in the Columbus game yesterday, but when they saw the clock, they saw that a minute and a half, a second and a half, pardon me, or something ran off the clock after the whistle went. He calls the officials over, says the clock ran down by a second and a half. There was only nine or nine and a half seconds, so the second could have mattered. The officials told them to pound stones. They weren't going to do anything about it. Anyway, Columbus scores, but about half a second after the horn goes... Had that second and a half been added back onto the clock, Columbus wins the game. Worse, they go into a shootout. In the shootout, Columbus's number one goalie injures himself. And so not only do they not lose the game because they lost the shootout, now they've lost their starting goalie. John Tortorella post-game goes berserk, lots of expletives, lots of whatever, and just shreds the officials, shreds the NHL, shreds everything about it. And of course, the NHL has made it pretty clear that he's going to be fined. That's unacceptable behavior. Should coaches and players be allowed to criticize officials? 
Should that not be within their purview that if the officials blow it, that they should be allowed to be criticized? Sure. But they can't. Leagues, leagues you fine. You ask me that. No, but leagues, okay, but leagues fine guys immediately. Yep. But should they? Yes, they should find them if they cross a line. Tortorello's crossed every line he's ever seen. Like he, he loves it. And by all accounts was absolutely right. I mean, the one that stings the most, first of all, they lose the game. But during his uh, rant, you know, he points out that he's lost his starting goaltender because the game should have been over. They never should have been in a shootout. So I think his point is, and I think it's well taken, based on the evidence that you just laid out, that in today's technology, it's pretty easy to digitally find out if there was an error. And if there was, fix it. Put the time back on the clock. In the olden days, the back linesman was always to keep his eye on the clock towards the end of the game and as often as he could to make sure that if the home team is behind um, or ahead, that they don't run the clock. The home team clock person doesn't his take fingers, advantage. His fingers slip sometimes, yeah. and they, yeah. they're not as accurate. And so, you know, I would, in an OHL game, go up to Dougie Robb and say, these guys are getting a little loose with the clock, and he'd go over and tell them. Now, that was pretty primitive technology. Now they can nail it. So I don't think I blame them. I think if if nothing else, they should say, you know what, we're finding John Tortorella $10,000, and we'd like to apologize to the Columbus Blue Jackets for our mistake. You see, referees get suspended. They never talk about it. But when referees technically make a call, they usually don't get suspended on judgment calls. Remember the pair of guys last year that I think they didn't call a major penalty uh, in the playoffs where the guy got high-sticked? Mm. And those no, they guys, did call a major penalty. And, the and, guy it was, didn't, and it was not really a penalty. Yes, and they were done. So that was pretty blatant because it was playoffs, so there's lots of... But in, in the Ontario Hockey Association, Bob Morley's in charge of that. You know, if if they make blatant errors, there's consequences. So the referees can get disciplined. But I think they should find Tortorella because he crossed the line. Uh, and they should also apologize to him and the Columbus Blue Jackets. The question... Only of, one of those two will likely happen. Well, no, and, and the question about this to me is there are so many... Look, sports moves, the the speed that professional sports and even less than professional, college sports and everything else, the speed at which these games move now is so much faster than it used to. Officiating has become incredibly difficult. There's no question about that. And they're better than they've ever been. And they are, but they do make mistakes. And a lot of sports, especially the NFL right now, comes to mind that there is so much criticism of officials in the NFL for these mistakes that they're making for the credibility of the league, do the leagues not have to, not necessarily what Tortorella does, but when you say, well, you know, these officials get suspended, but we never hear about it. Do the, should the leagues not be saying that official will not be doing the next game because he blew? If you're going to penalize a coach for losing his mind at them, should you not, for the credibility of the league, say, we're not just sweeping this under the carpet. We're dealing with this. This official blew it, and he's going to pay for it. I think what they do is they quietly discipline them, which I think is probably the route to go. Because if they publicly um, chastise the official and he misses the next game, and they say Scott Radley will not be officiating next weekend because he screwed up, I think that puts that official, who's 
you know, I mean, everybody's vulnerable. Like, as you said, I've, I've been there. I've been on every side of that fence. But what you don't want is you don't want the coaches to have the ammunition to say, you keep this up, you're going to miss next week too. I, I think that that would play into it too much. I think what they do is they quietly discipline guys, and I don't know as anybody knows who's supposed to get what assignments. So if you publicly chastise them, it gives too much fuel to the players and everything else walking by. Well, no wonder he got suspended two weeks ago. I, I just think they should do it quietly to, to maintain the credibility for the officials. I would agree with you to a point, and I would say that I would never publicly allow criticism or publicly criticize an official for a judgment call that was blown. I mean, look, we can all, in our lives, we all make mistakes. We all make mistakes. And if it's a judgment call that it was a penalty that was called or wasn't called, I saw it differently than you. We don't know exactly what the referee's line of sight was. We see it from a TV camera view. Yep. We don't see what his, there may have been a player that flashed between him and the other player or something that distracted him off to the side or whatever. But if it's a technical thing, like we're talking about here, where you could go by the replay and look at time on the clock, and it's easy to do. He could have, rather than being stubborn, the official could have just taken the extra 30 seconds and skated over and said, can we please look at what the clock said? That, to me, is different. See, there's two things there, and I don't want to sound like Marvin Ryder, but let me back you up a little bit <laughs> and, and, and talk about, there was two incidents in, in the case that you outlined. I saw the rant. I didn't see what happened. So... Yes, technically they could have sorted it out. They could have reviewed it. The referee actually made a judgment call to say it doesn't matter. That's where, so, so two things happened. They did have the opportunity, and they, they, whether he has to call a timeout or how you make that protest, I don't know, like check with your linesman or check with the timekeeper. But there is a way to right or wrong. The official clearly, it seems, made a judgment call to say it, the second and a half don't matter. Well, look at the consequences look of, the of consequences. that approach. So that was the judgment of the official. But in the NBA, every single time that I can think of that there is a question about whether a guy's toe was over the three-point line or not, yep. they stop. And even if not at that moment, at the next whistle, they go back and they check and see. And if the ball went in and it turns out that his toe was on the line, they change it to a two. Or if he was behind the line, they change it to a three if it was wrong. Here's what I know about basketball. Who makes that call to start with? Do, do the official look at the, the scorekeeper? The official on the floor. And they look at the timekeeper and say three? Uh, you can have, but there maybe. The timekeeper might alert them. I'm not sure, but you can no, certainly. but who makes that call though? Like when, when, about a, whether to if, check? If there's a three-pointer if you're or un- if it's close, does the referee flash three fingers or two fingers? How does that, how does that determine? It's based on what he sees. So if he sees that if he believes it's a three, he flashes three. Oh, he does to the timekeeper's bench. He puts his hand up and makes it okay. a three point sign. And then you could, I don't know if the timekeeper alerts the ref that there is something they should be checking or if it's based on the other bench saying, Hey, that was a two or another ref comes up to him and says, I think that may have been wrong, but they do it. They, it's a, yep. it, it's, it's not a subjective call. Your toe is either on the line or it's not on the line. Yep. And so we can go back and check and we can fix it. This is not pass interference or whatever, but in football, you go and you check the review. If the guy stepped out of bounds, you can clearly go and see these kind of things. I just, in those cases where a referee has the opportunity within the rules to do a clear cut ruling to go back and check and you decide not to for whatever reason, that to me is criticizable. 
I, a, a judgment call, I'll, I'll, I will not criticize them for it. I spend far less time now critiquing the officials from the bench than I did five years ago. Two games ago, there was uh, the other team went in and it was offside. Linesman didn't call it. Our bench guys are yelling, and I we settled that down. Linesman standing right in front of me, and I says, "You better hope and pray they don't score on this, because if they do, it's on you." And he, he, he just kind of cocks his head a little bit, because you know, I know he heard me, and then it'll clear the zone, and he just looked up at me. He's going like, See, "Because I'm a former official, you know, ex- you have a lot better opportunity to say what's hurting." Like you know, when you say that to him, he's like, "But that's in a, but that was a judgment call." Now in the NHL, I don't not in your league, but in the NHL, you have the opportunity if you're a coach to go back and see if that was offside. But there are other things that just as a rule that referees can go and check to see. I, and if you choose not to for whatever reason, that to me is that's fair game to criticize. I was in Niagara Falls doing a, a junior A game, which is now the OHL, and I'm waving like I'm trying to take off like an airplane and going that was offside. Now both my arms are out sideways, so I let it go. Thank God they didn't score. But generally speaking, if you're a linesman and you see it, you hope the referee will blow it down. And good referees will back you up. When I got to the stage where I was a referee and a guy missed a call, I'd, I'd blow it down because the most important thing is to get it right. You don't want to you don't want to tell a guy when they score saying it's not my call. Yeah. Well, we're out here together. Let's get it right. So they the good the good referees will bail the linesman out. Now the kid that I said that to got blocked out. Because the guy went right in front of him, so he didn't see it, but he didn't call it either. You can, it's hard not to call what you can't see. And that's why, to me, you don't criticize that's the judgment call because there's any number of things that they may not have seen that we can see in super slow motion now at home on television. But there's nothing wrong with planting a seed. No, 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 but I'm talking about afterwards. If there's, if you say, well, that guy missed a penalty, I don't know what he was able to see or not see. Yeah. I know what I'm able to see on my 4K TV that's 65 inches that's yeah. in super slow-mo. That's not what he saw. No. Tor- Tortorello, though, that's what that, that's what I suspect will happen. He'll get fined. I don't suspect that the league will say, we made a mistake, we apologize. Uh, no. Because I've never seen the National Hockey League do that. No, they will not do that. That but, would be a great um, credibility booster to me because it's going to happen. If there's mistakes, they're going to happen. When you the, the best thing you do when you make a mistake is admit it right away rather than try and talk yourself into out of it or having somebody believe something that's not true. It doesn't work. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Last Don Robertson of the 2010s, of the decade. He'll be back next decade, brighter, better than ever. I was going to say bigger and better than ever, but he doesn't... Brighter to... shouldn't be hard. Mm. All right, so... Uh, we are talking about the uh, the end of the decade. I want to give you five sports moments, and I, you can add more. I'll give you more than five. Okay. And uh, tell me which one, or give me your one, two, and three in order that you would give from the sports moment of the decade. I have not included the Dundas Real McCoys winning the Allen Cup. That that's a why are that's we doing a, that's a given. Yeah, that's a given. Um, okay, Penny Alexiak winning four gold medals in one Olympics. Canada's women's soccer team getting bronze at the Olympics after that controversial game with the referee that, that screwed everything up. Uh, Alexander Bilodeau winning Canada's first gold medal on home soil. Brooke Henderson winning the Canadian Open. Jose Bautista's bat flip. Bianca Andrescu winning the U.S. Open. Kawhi Leonard 
with the buzzer beater, the four bounce buzzer beater, and that ties into the Raptors winning, or Sidney Crosby's golden goal in the 2010 Olympics. Which one would be first for you? Uh, Golden goal. Okay. Um, How do you say her name? Bianca. Bianca Andreescu. Yep. Kwai's, it's funny, eh? Kwai's buzzer beater seems to be higher on everybody's list than the Raptors winning the NBA championship. Uh, And this is from a populist standpoint, really. It's probably slighting the accomplishments of the Olympics and winning an Olympic gold at home. Um, But I think Sid's goal, I think um, Bianca's win, I think the the Raptors and anything Raptors was a big deal. Now, uh, I don't want to look like I've got bad memory, but those both happened this year. Um, I think the soccer thing was a it's big amazing deal. how we have bookended things with Sidney Crosby at the first 2010, year, yeah, and then this one at the end, yeah. And um, I, I, and I left one out by the way, which I should mention. I, I really should, and that was which I would act. I would maybe I'd probably put this in my top five as I, which amazingly skipped my mind altogether. Which was the women's gold medal game at the Sochi Olympics when they were down 2 nothing with like yeah. two minutes left and the Americans hit the goal post on the empty net and then they come back and tie it up and then win in overtime. I, Laura Fortino sets up the winning yeah, goal. I would I, I would, I would also, I, I don't know how anyone mm. could not have Sidney Crosby's golden goal as the number one thing because... Well, anybody that doesn't is wrong though. Anyone who doesn't, I would argue, maybe not be wrong, but has forgotten that almost everybody in this country at that moment was tuned into that overtime and on pins and needles living and dying because we had all been now drawn into the Olympics. The Olympics had gone exceptionally well and on the podium, everybody in the country was watching, not everybody, but you know what I mean? Was watching that overtime. Pretty much. Not just the whole game, but if you hadn't even been watching the game, when you heard that it was going to overtime, you had stopped what you were doing. I think I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. I was watching at the Spectator because I was about to lay out the front page and everyone in the newsroom had stopped and was gathered around this TV on my desk to watch the overtime. And one other guy had taken my seat and was sitting in the chair with his feet up on the desk. And there's probably 15 people behind him. And when Crosby scored, he jumps, he throws his arms in the air and all of a sudden, there's a guy lying down behind him on the floor in a fetal position, and we thought that he'd had a heart attack out of excitement. Probably got his nose broke. No. No, no. It turns out that, so he's down on the ground, and we're worried that he's dying of a heart attack. And I'm dancing around. We realized what had happened was the guy, Mark, who was sitting in the chair, as he threw his hands up, had pushed his legs back from the desk the back of the chair had an adjustment knob that had gone at a hundred miles an hour directly into the groin of the guy behind him. Why wouldn't he be wearing a cup? He's watching a hockey game. Who now has his memory of Sidney Crosby's goal is that his nuggets were mashed into applesauce and he was now crippled on the ground. He can't ever watch this replay without suddenly having the feeling of nausea and groinal discomfort. Anyway. Uh, Don Sherry being dismissed. Yep. I would also argue one difference that I would take. So I would put the Sochi women's medal in there, the gold medal game. I would argue, and not everyone agrees because the Raptors, of course, won the championship. I put Bautista's bat flip higher than Kawhi Leonard's shot. 
And the reason was because of what had led up to it. If we remember the seventh if inning of partial, that game. you were there. Yeah, but it was the top of the seventh inning that had created such rage. Remember the, the whole Half thing? Half an hour with, to play it. And it hit the, the, the throwing the ball back, Russell Martin hitting Sinchu Chu's bat and all these, like the whole thing leading up to it for half an hour had been so crazy, emotional up and down and everything else. And then the three errors by Elvis Andrus in the bottom of that inning and then the home run and all the rest, like it, it wasn't, it didn't just stand alone. It, it wasn't just, it was not in its own little moment. It was an entire. Yeah, it was a build up to it. Exclamation mark to an incredible half an hour. It was, but the other ones you cited were kind of instantaneous, other than winning the U.S. Open and Brooke Henderson, you know, winning. Brooke Henderson's was a remarkable, winning the Canadian Open, no woman had done that. Yeah, it's, I mean, you got to let, you got to have 10, five isn't enough. You do. But we're, you know, I'm I'm more affiliated with hockey as anybody that listens would, would understand. Sidney Crosby's goal, because we're a hockey nation and- um, we still play for the world's oldest national hockey championship in the Allen Cup, which is coming to Dundas and Hamilton in April. Um, is the second most famous goal ever scored in hockey? Second or third, but yeah. Well, I would. I, it, Henderson is first, and then it's either Gretzky to Lemieux, or it's this one would be second. I I think I I, I saw I, w- I was at the game when Gretzky looked Larry Murphy off, and all he would have had to do was tap it in. And he threw it back to Mario, who snapped it over his shoulder. I yep. mean, the the low percentage players give it to Murphy, but I'm not Wayne Gretzky, so it turned out all right. But uh, I still think Henderson and then winning a gold medal at the Olympics was a little bigger than that. But it's 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 it's, it's interesting. All three are good goals. Most people, most people, even those who are diehard basketball fans, I have not heard many people arguing that the Raptors. Eclipse Sidney Crosby's goal, well, and and you had two million people in the streets of Toronto celebrating, and you had people all over Canada celebrating the Raptors, and I still haven't heard many people argue that that one should be number one. Some people, of course, but yeah. I haven't heard many people it, that that Sidney Crosby goal was. Well, most people are right then. It was well, it was because it was for your country, and it was because, and again. We got to take a break here. It's because yeah, there wasn't a Canadian on the Raptors. Oh, there was, there was Boucher. Oh, uh, right, but it. The context of it, the whole Olympics had led yeah. up to that point. And the Raptors was wonderful and had there was a story that had led up to that point. If that shot, as we go to break, if that shot had been in game seven of the finals. To win it in overtime? the whole thing, or uh, in the last second of the game, uh, you would have a much, much, much more difficult conversation. How many people go to the, to the parade if the Leafs win the Stanley Cup? More than the Raptors? No. No, because the difference, because the Raptors were a Canadian team. It's the only national, it's the only basketball team in Canada. There are hockey teams across the country. There are Leaf fans everywhere. You don't think there'll be as many people there if the Leafs win the Stanley Cup? I don't, I don't, but it might be close. It might be close. I'll never know. (laughs) I'm far too old. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Don Robertson in studio as he is every Monday, almost every Monday, not for the last few, but almost every Monday. You saw that, uh, I'm sure you were watching the Canadian, the World Junior Tournament against the Russians the other day, the Canada debacle where they got shelled and lost their best player, Lafreniere. Yep. Now, the good news is that it doesn't sound like he is as badly hurt as was first 
thought that apparently the MRI has not shown tears or breaks or anything else, which is, you know, for a guy who's potentially the number one pick in the upcoming draft, I mean, you held your breath when you saw that guy go down. Well, the Ottawa Senators did. Well, probably Detroit at this point. Yeah, maybe Detroit, yeah. My question, though, is, and I've, I've often wondered this, with the money that's in hockey now, with the all the stuff that, that spins off of that, and with the value of being in the NHL, getting drafted and all that kind of stuff, are we coming to a time when players are going to start, or their agents are going to start telling them, don't, don't go. You're... You know, yeah, you may help yourself a little, but you know what? Your risk of injury is too high. Just stay and play in the OHL or the W or whatever else. And do, do you see a time coming when they when they start getting pressure to not go because of that? No, no, no. I don't think so because th- then it speaks to commitment. And do you care? I mean, you know, the, the, your country needs you, your team needs you, and you're being selfish. How's that bode well when you're looking at a kid and said, so was mom and dad are running the show or his agents run the show and you can go and represent Canada? Can you imagine how that kid would get ripped? But we're seeing it with guys in the NBA. There are players in U.S. college basketball. There was one just the other week who's saying, you know what, I'm done for the year. I'm just now going to go out and I'm leaving the team. I'm just going to prepare for the draft. They've seen me. They know what I can do. And I'm just going to go and get ready and stay healthy for the draft. Well, let's see how that goes for them. Right? I mean, if you're good enough, I mean, unless it's career-ending, I think they should play. I think it would hurt your brand dramatically by, especially the situation with the World Junior Championship. Can you imagine the uproar if the potential number one draft didn't want to go? Because you may as well quit playing in the OHL or the Q or the the Western League. But we've heard a lot. I mean, the reason that the NHL players aren't in the Olympics right now is largely because of the risk of injury and uh, insurance on their contracts that the IIHF and the IOC were not willing to pay. We've got owners concerned that their investments could get hurt in a non-team, non-club team event. Is that not the same kind of thing? Well, I think, I'm not sure that's the mark. I think the National Hockey League aren't letting their players go to the Olympics because there's no money in it for the NHL. What's the NHL get out of it? Maybe some exposure? But they, you know, I mean, it's not a money pit for the National Hockey League. That's why they had the World Cup. You know, if the National, why is it okay if you play in the World Cup and the National Hockey League and the Players Association can make money, but you can't do it in the Olympics? All of a sudden, it's a disruption. Well, so it's all about money. If I'm the NHL, Don, and and I mean, look, maybe not the last time because the last Olympics were in Pyeongchang, which is not as big. But if I've got an Olympics coming up in Beijing where I've got a billion Chinese people who are going to potentially be watching an untapped hockey market largely. Whether there is money in it for the NHL directly, I would think this is where you you want to be there as a selling feature to try and hit that market, and yet it doesn't look like they're going to. I I, I really do think it comes down to dollars and cents. I think you're right, the IHF and, and those guys, what they should do is not take so much cash in, in the brown bags they get to award the Olympics and put it towards insurance. I mean, it's expensive to insure that, I don't know what it would be. Somebody's 
has more time in their hands. I wouldn't say smarter, but has more time in my hands. You start picking the top 23 players that will play in the Olympics in Canada and U.S. and Russia and the Czech and all the teams. But you just take Canada, for example. Look at what the salary cap would be on that team if you put them in a national. I mean, it's going to be $100 million. More. You're right. Probably a quarter of a billion dollars. It's probably closer. That's that's a lot of insurance to buy and pay for. I, 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 I mean, I think that's a factor, but if the National Hockey League think it's good for their brand and they can make money on it, I think they'd say, well, we got to do this. The other side with the World Juniors, which I found really interesting, is leaving aside injuries for a second, you've got a guy who has been talked about. So Lafreniere is now the guy who's being talked about as the number one pick in the draft. Yep. But the guy prior to that, who was being touted as that was Quentin Byfield, who plays up in Sudbury. Yep. I've been watching the Canadian games. He's been a non-factor so far in this tournament. Do you hurt yourself if you are, do you run the risk of hurting your draft stock or your your reputation as a, as a highly touted player if you go to a tournament like this where you play high, high level competition and have a bad tournament? I don't think it helps you. I mean, obviously, I mean, it's, as close to redundant as you can get, but I mean, it's not gonna. What? But I think if you're a high prospect, the the body of work that they look at to make that determination is pretty broad. I don't think you can hurt. I don't think a high end guy can hurt his position as much as a guy that they've got going late in the second round or maybe late in the first round and just dominates in the tournament and blocks shots with his face and does all those things. And I think of uh, um, Kevin Harvey's brother, Kevin Harvey's a Dundas Real McCoy, his brother Todd was captain. Harv would block shots with his face. That tournament made him help make him the 10th overall pick in the National mm-hmm. Hockey Oh, League. it can absolutely work to your advantage. I, but my point is I think it can help a guy that's maybe not going to go in the first round or not high in the first round, I think you can move up a lot further than you can move down is my point. Maybe it's, I'm not making well, it no, well. Well, no, and I think I probably go, I think you could probably go either way. If someone's going up, someone's got to be coming down then. And I think you, like, uh, look at a guy like Bulldogs player, Arthur Kaliev. Now, yeah. he was, he slipped into the second round last year. I think if he was draft eligible this year based on how he's playing, he's already got four goals in three yep. games, I he, think, for the Americans. He'd be a first Americans. rounder. You start looking, you go, okay, you know what? He doesn't maybe skate as well as everybody, and he maybe doesn't back check as hard. We can teach that. You look at how he shoots and how he scores goals on a big stage. I don't think the LA Kings right now are thinking, man, we blew it with that pick. I think they're thinking we stole that guy because look what he's doing on the big stage. But here's what happens in the scout rooms. The guys that didn't pick him, the guys that passed on him, are saying, it's a small body of work here. Like, he may look good at them because they have to justify. Yes, because the GM's looking, I'm looking at you and you're my head's going, going, explain to me again why we passed on this guy. Like, he's head and shoulders over 20 other guys that were picked. How did we miss him? And the scout's going, yeah, well, you know what, let's let's give this five years before you fire me over this decision. Uh, just, by the way, got a text from uh, my buddy Steve Milton at The Spectator who's listening, thankfully. We appreciate that. Who points out He's that- the guy. Well, he, he points out that in early years of the Canadian national junior team with this tournament, there were players who did say no for the reasons we're talking about, a fear of injury, whatever else. And then 
after 1982 and 85, when they had big, big wins that got a lot of attention, suddenly it became the tournament that you had to be part of. You know where this tournament got turned around? Cops Coliseum. It was struggling. It had been in Montreal and didn't draw well. The Ontario Hockey Association took it over along with the Hamilton Steelhawks and said, we can put it in Hamilton. I think Lindros played in that tournament. He did. And uh, a combination of a lot of things happening. First of all, it's a brand new arena. Proximity to Mississauga, Toronto, Kitchener, Waterloo. Same reason the NHL team would be successful here is 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 what really put this thing on the map. They, the games were all sold out. They bundled the packages. Um, Peter Hamm, who ran the Brantford Blast for many years, was running the Hamill Steelhawks, Brent Lads from the OHA. They kind of took the tournament and said, watch this. And that was really the thing that was springboarded this thing into such a... And now look, it's in Canada almost every other year. Hockey Canada owned the rink board and advertising rights to the event. If you, I mean, it's in Czechoslovakia. I'm pretty sure that all those Canadian Tire ads and Tim Horton ads didn't just miraculously appear through some advertising agency. Yeah, I just worry. So I, I start to get Hockey w- Canada run the whole thing. But I start to get worried. The last few, it appears that Hockey Canada has started to charge a little too dearly for these tickets. I mean, the one when it was in Toronto and Montreal and back-to-back years or two years apart, there were empty seats because you were charging a little too, too, too much for these kind of things. Charging NHL rates. Where, where you're running a company, there's an old company called uh, <clears throat> Standing SRO, Standing Room Only, mm-hmm. and they were the ones that come out with, for NHL teams and NBA teams and everything else, they started selling packages. So there would be two great teams. If, let's say the Toronto Maple Leafs couldn't draw. So you're going to put Montreal and Boston in the package with Florida, you know, Columbus. and So, so you're buying six, a six-game package, and you got to buy the six games, and the only way they could get the price up was to have two marquee teams in there. That's how they bundled it. And Hockey Canada may have to start doing that because selling the Czech Republic and Germany in Toronto is a tough sell. But even if you do that, people will still pay the, because they have to and they just not show up for those games. That's their choice. Well, the, the good news in good hockey markets is those, Scott, you'll see kids go. You know, when companies are buying them, they're going to say to you, do you want to take, Scott, you know, you, do you want to take your kids to the tournament over? Now, I know Germany and the Czech Republic weren't your first pick, but they're tickets and you're, they're going to go. Like the, the first game little bit of a game I watched and I can't remember who was playing. There was nobody there. Like there weren't there weren't a thousand people at the game. So it's not working tremendously well. Now the crowds are okay right now but the preliminary games and early on and the ones that are kind of like a dog with fleas, you, you can't draw enough people to have a game of bridge. And Yes, please. We play the Brantford Blast this Friday, first game of the new decade. Yes. After 20 years of being the Dundas Real McCoys. And, for heaven's sakes, Team Canada got beat. There's a bunch of teenagers representing our country. Stay off Twitter and Facebook and social media, calling them inept and calling them names. For heaven's sakes, these are teenage boys. Good point. Doing their best. Leave them alone. Don, happy new year. Happy new year to you, Scott. Appreciate you coming in. Ben, happy new year to you. To everyone listening, happy new year. Hope you have a wonderful New Year's Eve. Stay 
out of your car if you're not sober. Let's just put it that way. Be safe. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.